You know the difference between hockey and those other sports? You gotta be tough to be a hockey player. I idolize Dominic Kaczyk. I played goalie because of Dominic Kaczyk. My life in hockey has been started because of Sabres hockey. I didn't need playoffs this year. I wanted it, but I didn't need it. But when you screw up for the fans as much as the team has over the last, like, five years, and just don't hold yourself accountable, I'm sorry. I'll hang up and listen. I'm sorry. Welcome to Two Goalies, One Mike, an in-depth look and behind-the-mask conversation about the greatest game on earth, where everything goes and nothing's off limits. Now I'll tell you something about this guy. This is only three minutes, eh? Whammo! Welcome, everybody, to Two Goalies, One Mike. I almost said I'll hang up and listen there. It's been a minute. It's been an episode. Um, episode 146 of Two Goalies, One Mike, brought to you by Fatty Beer Company, Buffalo's premier spot. Uh, Market and tap room for all of your uh, Buffalo Sabres uh, drinking needs, uh, unfortunately. More or less drinking in sorrow. Uh, over 300 beers to choose from. Seven different Western New York locations. And uh, <clears throat> one of the only uh, both dog and uh, kid-friendly bars in Western New York. Uh, live entertainment, trivia, seven days a week. Open from 11.30 a.m. till 10.30 p.m. and later. And, of course, Buffalo Logo Apparel. Buffalo's best spot for all of your Buffalo sports apparel needs, whether it comes to a Sabres hat, uh, Bills shirt or hoodie. They have it all over at Buffalo Logo. Go check them out at Buffalo Logo Co. on Instagram and Twitter and Fatty at Fatty Beer on Instagram and Twitter as well. But uh, interview that I've been waiting a long time to get. Uh, big grab for the for the boys here at Two Goalies on Mike. We are joined by the Sabres beat reporter for the Buffalo News, Mike Harrington. Mike, how are you doing tonight, man? And thank you so much for coming on. Gentlemen, good evening. Uh, I'm already pumped up by that open, the old uh, Empire graphics there. That, uh, that works pretty well. You know, and uh, I don't know what you guys want me to say. You bring me on this show to talk about the Sabres. Like, I'm going to have some answers for this bizarre hockey season. Are you kidding me? So we'll see where this goes. But there ain't a lot of great answers here, boys. Yeah, so I read your column today, which I thought was really good. Uh, really good. Everyone should go check it out at the Buffalo News. Um, the one thing that I took away the most, and I think you said it yourself, that the biggest stat from this season for this team is that coming off of a win, they are one, nine, and three. And obviously that's bad, and that's in indicative of inconsistent play and not being able to follow up a win with momentum or get on a streak. But, like, what do you truly attribute that inconsistency to the most with this team? Well, it's really baffling to figure that out. I asked Rasmus Dahlin about it today, and he didn't have a lot of great theories. Granado actually came out with a theory today that I hadn't really thought of at all, which does make some sense. And he said that at times teams know how to win without an incredible amount of energy expenditure. And I clearly took it to mean that he was talking about the Boston Bruins. They just go win. They don't go crazy. They don't, you know, go through every guy and hit every guy and hit everything that moves. And his point was the Sabres sometimes have these great victories, but it is a maximum energy expenditure that leaves them a little low for the next game. Now, it comes off a little bit as an excuse, for one thing, but when you look at the Vegas-Arizona weekend, it comes off. You do kind of see the point there. Having said all that, we're at the point now where this is a mental thing. 
13 games. They've won one. So now they're in their own heads when they win a game about, we got to get a winning streak. We're not getting back into this thing without a winning streak. Well, when you talk about it all the time, and that's all you say to yourself, you freeze up. You don't play like you're supposed to play. Did they play anywhere near as well against Arizona as against Vegas? No. Right now, this team can't get out of its own head. There are goal scorers who are frozen. How many times the puck hit the glass in Arizona the other night? Oh, my God, yeah. you got to be kidding me. You know, this is the, the ultimate conundrum with this team because this team can be the playoff team everyone thought they could be, and we've seen it. New York, Boston, Toronto, Vegas, the third period against Pittsburgh, the third period in Winnipeg. We've seen it. But look at the record against the mushy middle of the league. You know, positions 11 through 23, the overall standings, you know, 5, 12, and 2. 0, 4, and 2 against Philly, Carolina, and Montreal. Ah, you're behind all three of them. It's pretty obvious why. There's no explanation for it. It's the most bizarre season I've ever seen. This is my 17th season covering this team. And, I mean, the tank was bizarre for different reasons. But this this just makes no sense to me at all. There's no way you can go on the road and win some of the games this team is winning and then play as poorly as they played in other games. And I don't know what the answer is. And is it ever going to end? I don't know. Now now the latest flavor of the day is going to be, oh, Jack Quinn's coming back. All right, here we go. Jack Quinn's going to be back to help you know stabilize the lineup. I don't know. We'll see. I, I mean, if that's if that was your theory coming to this season, like, oh, we're gonna get like for the, your reasoning and not adding offensively to this team with the expectation that there would be no regression. Which I mean, I think you know you'd be pretty ignorant to think that there wouldn't be any regression. I mean, you had how many guys on this team have career years last year? There's uh, like this idea that. You know, Tage Thompson's just going to pick up right where he left off, score 50, and you go 100 points. Like, yeah, sure, that's very much possible, but it's also just as likely that that won't happen because injuries happen. Uh, you know, um, just like the one to Jack Quinn where nobody was really expecting to happen in the offseason. Not that they played on the line together, but he was pretty pretty productive on their power play. Um, it, it just – the regression, you know, the sophomore slump of Dylan Cousins – uh, Alex Tuck coming into the season hurt. Like, like to have this idea that they're just going to pick up right where they left off. You don't need to add anybody else. I think that's just pretty short-sighted. I, I don't understand why Kevin Adams would be, feel as comfortable as he did with this team. And maybe I myself am guilty for it, too. I thought, yeah, this team's good enough. Only adding Connor Clifton and Eric Johnson. And, I, you know, for all, the, for all the slack that Eric Johnson's get, I really don't understand what people really thought he was going to bring to this team at his age. Like this is his last year in the NHL. Most likely. I think he's even said it is. So what did you all expect from him? He was a third pairing defenseman. He's not as quick as he used to be, not nearly as quick as he used to be. How can you possibly expect him to be any better than who Yoki? Are you maybe from a leadership point? Sure. But to me, it's just, I think that's where the blame lies as up, even above Don Granado is like, Yeah, responsibility is to coach the team he's been given. And I mean, I would blame Adams over Granado, but I even 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 so to me, it was reasonable to think you're going to have some regression. What wasn't reasonable was to think you would have regression from basically everybody. Some guys are going to regress and go down. Some guys are going to improve. 
Some guys are going to hit the next level. Who has gotten better on this team other than J.J. Paterka? Everyone really else has either has either regressed or gotten hurt. So I don't think Adams can be taken to task too much for the point that he figured some guys would regress and some guys would improve. No one's improved. Now, what he should have done in hindsight, I bought into it too much too. I freely admit that. What he should have done basically is pretty simple. You say, what should Adams have done? The goalie thing I'm sick of hearing about. There were no goalies out there to get. Okay? Do you want Jonas Corposalo? Do you want John Gibson? I'll take Levi and Lukanen, frankly, right now. What they made the mistake of was when Jack Quinn got hurt in June when you had plenty of time and everyone's cap was open, you needed to go out and make a trade for a veteran winger. I don't know who, somebody out there, trade one of your prospects, get a veteran NHL winger in here to help your forward lines. And that, to me, was the mistake. Connor Clifton, you overpaid. Okay, he's gotten a lot better lately, for the record, guys. Um, Eric Johnson was brought in for the locker room. And he's, really been well, a, yeah. and he's been a brilliant addition in the locker room, and he's done exactly what they hoped. He's not very good anymore. He's 35 years old. He's got a lot of mileage on him. They need to not play him every night. you know. But, again, let's not go crazy here with Ryan Johnson love. I love Ryan Johnson. He's going to be a great player. There are nights right now he's not a great player, and there are nights where he's really good. He's a kid. He's never been in pro hockey until this year. Let's not forget, Ryan Johnson came right out of college. So you need to have the mix of Ryan Johnson with Connor Clifton, with Eric Johnson. You just didn't get that veteran winger. And now, you know, people say, why isn't Adams doing it now? The league is locked. Mm -hmm. It's hard to trade until the trade deadline because everybody pretty much thinks they're still in it. I mean, I looked the other day. San Jose was six points out in the West. You know the what? Have you looked at the standings closely? The yeah, cut line, it's, it's bananas to see what San Jose has done in the last right. month, considering where they started. Was well, it 0 the and 10? Line, didn't, they go, didn't they go zero and ten? Right, they were zero ten and one. And then Mike Greer went in the locker room and reamed them out, and they've gotten a lot better. But the cut line in the West, when I looked the other day, was eighty-two points. I mean, yeah. Arizona is a playoff team. And they're at a 500-point percentage. The cut line in the East is much higher, but there are a lot of bad teams in the West. Somebody's going to get in. But, you know, the Sabres just, you know, Adams made to me, he didn't make a series of mistakes. He made one big mistake, not bringing in a veteran forward when Quinn got hurt, when he had the chance in the summer where there's a lot of movement, you know. And that's hard now to overcome. And, and the problem they have now is they're not a lot of points out. But – Everybody's got games in hand over them. They've played more games in hand. They played more games than everybody else. So they have they're giving up games in hand. And you know, you're climbing over six, seven teams. I mean, the only way this the season's not over, but the only way the Sabres get back into this thing is some five, six, seven game winning streak. Do you see that coming? Not with the they, not with the consistency of this team and the lack no. of uh, execution on the power play. The the Quinn no. the Quinn point is a little reminiscent to me to not, not to the same extreme because both injuries happened at different points uh, in the off season. It was when, when Eichel got hurt, when he got tangled up with Gergensen's in training right. camp and Tim Murray did nothing to address that. He just, you know, went through the first month, month and a half of the season, 
Uh, and he, you could tell Jack wasn't healthy when he came back either. Like he wasn't a hundred percent. That's tough. That's yeah. tough. Man. That's oh. tough. First of all, Eichel was your number one center. And the other yeah. thing is unlike Quinn, Eichel got hurt the last drill, the last day before the opener. Mm-hmm. Everybody's rosters are set. Yep. I mean, Jack Quinn got hurt in June. Adams had all summer to do something and get somebody in here in that spot. Now I do think the one thing they were trying to do here didn't work. Was it reasonable? They could argue the point they were. And Thompson got hurt in mid November. They were saying to themselves, let's just keep pushing forward. Let's get to when we have Thompson and Quinn back mm-hmm. and we'll be okay. And you know what? They're about, two wins from Thompson and Quinn being back and being okay, but they just didn't get it. The two wins, they didn't get enough. And now they're, they're in the mushy middle behind too many teams. And, you know, Jack Quinn was, is a nice player. He's going to be a really good player. I think he had 14 goals last year, 37 points. He's coming off an Achilles injury. He hasn't played a game since April. How good do we expect him to be for the next several weeks? I don't know. I mean, honest, yeah, I mean, curls. I will cut it over to you, but like the expectation of of Jack Quinn, like it's not like he's gonna, you know, all of a sudden cure the power play issues. Now all of a sudden he's gonna just jump on that line and not miss a beat with Cousins and Paterka. I Me mean, personally, I I've said this with with Connor. I, I've loved the way Benson has looked like with Paterka. I'm hard pressed to even split them two up. Yeah, I'm wondering that myself. When Quinn, Greenway, and Tuck are healthy, like what do you think those top three lines look like do you do they wow. go with skinner Tage, and thompson do they go with the kid line cousins quinn and paterka it worked really well in the beginning of last year and then we saw benson with middle and greenway to begin the year and we've talked about this before we think zach benson can, can play with anybody and i think yep. we should d- dive into that a little bit more and just in terms of him and his start but what what do you think those top three lines look like once you have all three of those guys healthy well let's see what happens in the next few games mr skinner may have lost his spot I might just keep running Benson out there with Tuck and Thompson and not screw around here. I mean, the way he is able to work the wall and work down low, the difference was palpable immediately with Skinner out of the lineup because Skinner has just, you know, at least he puts the puck in the net. Imagine if Jeff Skinner was back in a Kruger year not scoring. He has been so deficient in the back-checking area this year that you almost are living with it because he's got 12 goals. But, geez, Benson is a already at 18 years old, a 200-foot player. He's a gnat. Can you imagine Zach Benson when he's about 22, what he's going to be like working the wall, driving people crazy? Um, so I would probably be, stay for a while and see how the offense keeps going with Benson, with Thompson and Tuck. And we'll see about Cousins, Quinn, Paterka. Yeah, and maybe you just put Skinner down with Middlestat. You know, I, mean, I, I don't think, know. I think Skinner is another type of player that outside of that outlier year with Ralph Kruger, where he was either on the fourth line or in the press box. Um, he's another guy. I think that's probably going to just score whether you have him with Tage or you have him with Middlestack. I mean, yeah. over the last two year or year and a half that his playmaking ability is near the top of the league. Um, and me and Connor, and Connor will tell you right now, like that's one guy that absolutely needs to start shooting the puck more because he right. gets a lot of opportunities to shoot it, and he doesn't take them. He tries to be a playmaker too often, and he's he gets a lot of good looks, and he doesn't take them. I sit there and say, you're Jeff Skinner. 
They're paying you $9 million. You have scored 40 goals. You've scored 30 goals a lot. Stop passing the puck to X, whoever it is. Yeah. yeah. Shoot the puck. Shoot. You're Jeff Skinner. Yeah, and we feel the same way about Middlestat, too. I mean, he's leading the team in points with Darlene with 25, but we really do believe he should shoot the puck more as well because a lot of his goals this season, for instance, on Vegas on Friday night, he scores really nice goals. And I think he has an underrated shot, but he's always – he has that pass-first mentality. And I think that gets to, to the power play a little bit. You also mentioned in your in your column today, it's almost mind-numbing watching them pass the puck around the perimeter on the power play and not even – Think about getting the puck to the net or getting the puck to the danger area in the house, right? Right no. in front of the net. What theoretically or schematically can they do to be more direct? Don Granado talks about it all the time. We need to be more direct. We need to be more direct. But like, what is that going to take for them to tangibly change this on the power play? Because it's it's honestly killing the team right now. Yeah, five goals on the power play at home all season going into tomorrow night's game with Columbus. Five. How many games at home have they lost simply because they didn't score the man advantage? Um, I want to see more speed in the neutral zone. We've seen that a little more better entries lately. I want to see more speed with the puck in the offensive zone. I want to see crisp passing. I want to see more diagonal passing. None of this, you know, just dump, 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 dump around the perimeter. Why can't we pass from the diagonal from the right point over to the left? Why can't we pass from the left over to the right? The break the yeah. break the break the opponent down, and then when you get the shot, a lot of times we're getting these. We're, we're watching. You're in. The, we're in the press box, and we're watching these shots from the point, and they're like, you know, the what was the term that they used with Sam Reinhardt? There was a joke. The players they called it a. He scored a goal one night. They called it a muffin. It was a muffin shot. A little a little it's flutter a shot. Net. Yeah, get the pucks to the net though. But I need to see more forceful shots from the point. I need to see more traffic in front. I need to see guys crash in the net. It is the strangest-looking power play I've seen. But I've been telling people the last few days, look at the stats. Power plays are incredibly weird to figure out. I mean, everybody says, oh, my God, the Sabres power play is awful. It's the worst one I've ever seen. I'm like, no, it isn't. Look at the stats. And who's behind them, guys? Who are two of the teams behind the Sabres in the power play rankings right now? The Pittsburgh Penguins, who just had an 0-for-37 slump, when they have four Hall of Famers. Wow. Team. Yeah. Over 30. They went more than a month without a power play goal. And another team behind the Sabres is the Washington Capitals, who only have Alex Ovechkin on their team. Two of the best power play players. Actually, three count Malkin. Malkin, Malkin. Actually, Eric Carlson is <laughs> like there's right. so many, so many players on that Pittsburgh power play that four Hall of Famers on the Penguins. Carlson, yeah. Latang, Malkin, Crosby. They went without a power play goal for a month. So sometimes these things just become very, very mental for these teams. And especially when you're home, it happens, it happens all the time in Pittsburgh. It happens in Buffalo. People start yelling, shoot, shoot, shoot. And they're right, by the way, most of the time. And players tighten up and they can't handle the puck. The puck bounces away. you know. But the Sabres, I just need to see a few passing exhibitions where the puck's moving. Right now, that's where they really lack. Um, Follow-up question. Is Matt Ellis qualified to run this power play? Sure. It's the just idea that, yeah, but he never played. The idea is, I know, I get, yeah. I get it. The idea is Matt Ellis was a fourth-line plug who was a penalty killer when he played. So that doesn't qualify him to run the power play. Now, I don't know if Matt Ellis should continue to run the power play based on its performance, okay? 
But I don't subscribe to that theory at all. You know, we just had Jim Leland elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame as a manager. Jim Leland never played in the big leagues. Should that have disqualified him from being a manager? You know, I, I don't subscribe to that theory because the other thing about Matt Ellis, you could look at it from the opposite approach. He made his career. One of the big things he did was as a penalty killer. So he spent his whole career studying power plays. So I think, in fact, that could make him qualified to coach the power play. But it's not working. And I even suggested in my column, which, you know, commercial is up online right now at buffalonews.com. It'll be in the Buffalo News tomorrow. They could use another set of eyes here. And, you know, you you don't fire assistant coaches in the NHL. It's not like a Ken Dorsey situation. Ellis might be lucky. Which not, worked. You don't. Right. But what has happened here very recently last week, which I found very interesting and was pretty unique, out-of-the-box thinking, the St. Louis Blues fired Craig Berube. They brought in Drew Bannister, their AHL coach, and they brought in Brad Richards, the former NHL All-Star, as a consultant. And basically he was a consultant for their power play because the St. Louis Blues are actually last in the league on the power play. So I wonder if there's someone out there the Sabres might want to bring in to just look at our power play and tell us, give us some more wisdom about what we could do here. Sit down with Matt Ellis and give him some suggestions because they haven't done a tremendous amount of personnel shifting, mixing the units. They haven't put someone on the power play who's never really been on the power play. But I think the Sabres are out of answers. And now the one thing that's bothersome to me even more is the number of opportunities they're getting has really dropped. And that's partly guys aren't moving their feet, guys aren't driving in the net. The team in general, even at five-on-five, is too perimeter-oriented. They're not getting a lot of power play chances. So it's kind of, you know, the chicken and the egg. Well, how much do we practice the power play if we're going to get one chance a night? You know, they're not getting four and five chances a night, but that's partly because of the way they're playing, you know? So it's a weird situation, but, you know, the, the the number one reason the offense is behind last year's pace is the star players aren't putting the puck in the net and the power play is killing them. I mean, they were for quite a while last year until March in the top five in the league. And what are they right now? I think 26. That's the difference between being in and out by a lot. Uh, before I get to my next point, I don't know if there was confusion earlier. I was talking about middle stat being a more of a guy who needs to shoot, not a playmaker. Maybe I said Skinner. I wasn't sure. Uh, no, you did. You did. Oh, okay. Regardless. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't necessarily subscribe to that theory too. That just because you know you were a, a, a you know a poor player, you know offensively, or you were a power play specialist, that you can't run a power play because I think there's a lot of examples throughout the history of any sport that, so to your point. With, with Leland, like, that proves it otherwise. Uh, Wayne Gretzky being probably at the top of the list becomes a hockey phenomenal player, just couldn't coach. I thought, personally, what Gretzky was there is more of a PR stunt than anything, in my opinion, to get people yeah. to jump there to Coyotes games. Yeah, um, look at Magic Johnson and Ted Williams are classic examples of guys who were superstar players who couldn't coach, couldn't handle yeah. being a coach. Yeah, uh, Teddy Ball game. Um, but for me, it's – as a coach, your job, and like this is just my personal experience, you know, having at the level I coached uh, for nearly a decade, and as a player before then, is how are you perceiving the message that's being sent to you? How are you? How are you taking it in? Like, is is the way the message is being presented to you? Uh, is there? I guess I could say, 
Um, and at their level, there shouldn't be any issues there. But, you know, you have different personalities on every team. And we're, we're, we've been made to believe that the personalities in this team and the culture in this team is light years ahead of where it's been, you know, before now, before last season. Are the players taking the message seriously? Is it being presented them in a way that it's, you know, easy to understand? I don't know why why there be so much of a difference between last year and this year. I mean, I was watching. I sent that video to you, to you today, uh, hurls of Tage Thompson's four goal game last year. Like two of those goals were on the power play, and just how fluid everything looked. You talked about diagonal passing. That's all you got. Like just. Uh, from from the boards back to the point and how they opened up Tage for two of his goals from that sweet spot that we've seen from shoot a lot on the power play. It's just night and day different last year to this year. And it's just sometimes I feel like there's overcomplicating things. Like you, you mentioned Sam Reinhardt getting guys to the net. That's why I've like, I was very critical of the, of, of this, of the trade at first, but Robinson, Eric Robinson, like he gets to the net. Gets to the net. He should be on the power play, but he gets to the net. And I've said, after his first game, him doing that will hopefully resonate through the rest of the lineup because how often are we seeing these shots from the point and there's literally nobody in front? There's nobody. It's well, and that's the point is that part of me wonders, you know, we can go through the lineup, Dolly and Cousins and the second unit's power. Maybe they need to throw someone on that power play who you wouldn't think of who – can do something a little different. Maybe the guy is Robinson. Maybe you tell Robinson, get on the power play, get in front of the net, and cause some traffic and cause some trouble and do something different. How much longer are we going to watch Skinner lose the puck along the wall? How much longer are we going to watch Ocpozo out there on the power play? How much longer are we going to watch power struggle at the point? You know, they have to change up certain things. And really, you're limited how many moves you make. I mean, one of the moves you make is personnel. Put someone else on the power play. You're just trying to get the puck in the net. Now, Quinn's going to help, but it's it's hard to watch. I mean, and it shouldn't be that way with the talent they have in this club. Transitioning to the goaltending uh, real quick. Uh, I think the situation with Devin Levi is really, really interesting. Given the way that he started, he struggled a little bit, goes to the AHL for two games, and since his return, he's been largely really solid. Do you think that was a catalyst for him, like legitimately for the rest of the season? I know it's only been four games, but has there, in your eyes, been a tangible change as far as you can see with Devin Levi since he's gone down to Rochester? And like, do you think he stays with with the Sabres for hopefully the rest of the season if he continues at this play? But is that not necessarily something that it was so brief, which is which is weird to me that something like that could happen? But did that did that actually happen in your eyes? Do you think? Well, and the funny part is he'd still be there. I think he, they thought he might be there several weeks. He'd still be there if Lukanen hadn't gotten sick. You know, they called him back only because Lukanen was ill. Um, you know, I think they miscalculated at the start of the year. They wanted to get him in a rhythm, and that I get. You didn't need to play Levi the first four games of the season. No. And what did you do by doing that? You got him hurt. You know, he didn't need to play the first four games of the season because the other thing is you ended up making Luke and sit for a while. Um, so that was a mistake. I didn't agree with that. Um, I know that's hindsight now based on what happened, but at the time it seemed kind of goofy. I think Levi was still a guy. They were thinking, you know, 35 starts this year. Not 50, not 50. He's not that guy. They were thinking 35 to 40 starts and, Lukanen was going to get 30, 35, and Comrie was going to get 15. 
but it didn't work that way. Um, now they're a little stuck. They need Lukanen to be good. He was really good for a while. He was fine in Arizona, except for that horrible first goal, which isn't a save thing. Um, Lukanen hasn't been as good since he came back off the illness yet. Levi's been real good. And maybe those two games, you know, were a huge wake-up for Levi. Maybe that uh, picture of the eagle head where he's got his hands yeah, over his head, maybe that's going to be the seminal moment for Levi's season. He loved being with those guys. And Lukanen even said to us the other day, hey, that was a lot different. You know, he didn't just go to Rochester and play. They had to get on the bus and go to Belleville. That's not close. So, you know, I don't know. We're going to have to see. But the one thing about Levi we've already seen is no fear, no intimidation, nothing. Look what he look what he did in Vegas. He was windmilling guys in Vegas. Are you kidding me? They won the Stanley Cup this year. He's windmilling guys with the glove hand. And how how, he's, how he's, beautiful was that on Eichel yeah, too? That was great. unbelievable, incredible. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're windmill. You're windmilling guys with your. You're a 21 year old rookie. You're windmilling the Stanley Cup champions in their barn. Are you kidding me? That's something I'll take for the whole yeah. season. Just to see where this guy's mental frame is. And he's like, I'm here. Go ahead. Beat me. You know, piggybacking off that, you say his mental frame, and we've talked about it a lot. Like, that's where I think he, like, as as great of an athlete Devin is, as great of just just, just his 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 flexibility, how agile is, how good, how good he is in, um, you know, controlling his depth and not, and, you know, go down the list. Um, his mental game is the best part of his game and i've said this he may not be the same size of him and i've said it i'll say i say it again he he is very he reminds me a lot of ryan miller in the way sure. he talks about the game the way he sees the game like there was a reason why and you could speak to this too why ryan miller whether, whether it was a win or a loss was the hot interview to get after a sabers game because of the way he talked about the game it wasn't just for a hot mic moment like with Milan Lucic. It was because he knew he knew the ins and outs of the game. He was a student of the game. And when I look at Devin Levi, I see much of the same same attributes uh, in him, just the way he speaks about eloquently. And we had him on our show um, before he made the decision to return to Northeastern for one more year. And the question was, like, what do you say to those people that, you know, question your size? And his answer just blew us away and just how he went into detail and I mean, his preparation, training, you know, his angles, everything he everything he went through. And as me and O'Hurls, you weren't part of the show at the time it was Cully, but like I was blown away by his answer and just, yeah. just the way he talks. And now, you know, his VR training, you know, he mentioned that even when he was out for a little while after that four game stretch when he got hurt, how he was in his living room <laughs> working on VR, like it just his uh, how, how he prepares himself, um, how he takes care of himself off the ice, on the ice. That's why I think he's going to have a long, successful career in the NHL. I just, yeah, I think that when it comes to working hard on and off the ice, at least, and this is not a shot against Comrie or UPL. I just think, you know, he's far and above the rest. Um, Levi is 21 and going on about 35 when you talk. Right, exactly. You know, there are 21-year-olds in a dressing room you talk to, and it's cool. It's fine. They're 21. They're kids. You know, Darlene showed up when he's 18. You talk to Darlene now, it's like you're talking to a different guy because why? That's life. He's 23, 24. It's a big difference. Levi's 21 going on 35. And the big moment for me with Levi was at the end of last year. We're still learning about him. And they had that incredible 7-6 game in Detroit where, you know, he played great, made great saves. He also gave up six goals. 
and they get in the shootout and Levi wins the shootout. And it was just, it was almost, it was shocking to me the way he was. Smile to, ear to ear. Ear to ear. Smile loved ear the fact ear. it was a shoot. He, he was like, I, I said to him, they scored the goal in the last minute. They had an overtime breakaway with two seconds left. He made the save in, in the overtime. And I said, what was your thought process now? You got that save. You're going to the shootout. And he looks at me. He's like, I was thinking, bring it on. And he was able to analyze every player in the shootout. And he loved the shootout. He thrived in the shootout. You know, I remember Kevin Adams the summer saying he asked about the shootout with the Rangers and how, well, I've watched Patrick Kane my whole life. I've watched Panera. And he went down the list of the Rangers team. He knew all their tendencies in the shootout because he had studied them all. And that's the way Levi thinks. And that's why Levi was really, really upset with himself. He thought he played a really good game against Montreal, and he did. And then he got beat three out of four times in the shootout. And part of me was, as I was watching that game, going, you know what? Levi didn't know the shooters like he knew Artemi Panarin and Patrick Kane because of who Montreal ran out there in the shootout. And he was really frustrated with that. But I, Levi is just incredibly fascinating to talk to. And just you just never know what he's going to say and the, the, the perspective he has. I mean, he is just so far above any 21-year-old I've ever seen in this league, in this locker room. In the same vein, it feels like Zach Benson has a similar attitude, that that fearless mindset, especially at his stature. Obviously a little bit smaller, but he's also 18 years old. Uh, I'm not sure how much you've gotten the opportunity to, to talk to him. Uh, I'm wondering if you have and if you could tell sure. us a little, a little bit about it. And then also, um, what do you project his ceiling as in terms of what type of player he could be three, four years down the line? I saw a little bit of uh, Braden Point projections when he got drafted. I think it was very surprising he fell to 13, and I think the whole league realizes that now, given that he's an NHL regular and he probably will be moving forward. But what what is he like as a, as a player, as a guy, and what do you project for him to be moving forward? Well, I like the fact that he's playing with a little chip. You know, he's 18, he's in the NHL. I think the 13 thing bothers him. I think the 13 thing is stupid. You know, what happened in the draft? Think back what happened. There was a sudden run of uh, – there was a sudden run of defensemen mm -hmm. and all of a sudden the small little forward got pushed back. Come on guys. It's pretty obvious right now. He should have been the number three or four pick in the draft. It's unbelievable. Like I said, he, like you said, he went, it was a run on defense and, but and right. like, I know you, per, you compared him to a gnat earlier. I almost like say he's like a hyena when he's out there. Yeah. Just like you, you don't have any time before he's right on top of you. you right. Know I mean? like he's just right on you. He's going to be a cross to me. He's going to be a little bit of a cross between Braden Point and Brad Marchand. Yeah. Now maybe he's not going to be the chirper that Marchand is. Maybe he is. You know, but he's going to drive opponents crazy. But he has tremendous hands. He's got intuition of where the puck is going to go. He understands angles. How many times in that road trip did you see him strip the puck in the offensive zone? How many times did he step in a passing lane for a defenseman trying to get the puck around the wall? I mean, for an 18-year-old to have that kind of sense, and this is one of the things I think clearly the Sabres saw because they were fortunate that they saw him every night because they were at all of Matt Savoy's games. Yeah. So it almost begs the question, what in the world was Arizona thinking when they made their pick, I think at number six? Well, they were there all the time too watching Connor Geeky. Yep. Why didn't they take Zach Benson? You know, so. I know they're forward heavy, but I mean. The Sabres were pretty forward heavy too. Yeah, yeah. You know, 
I mean, between all the guys they had, Kalik and Osland and and uh, Roseanne and Savoy already, and even Kevin Adams in the embedded video talked about, oh, I'm going to yell that for taking another small guy. You know, the Sabres just said the heck with it, we're doing it. But this league, you got a lot of dinosaur thinking still. You know, and have have these GMs and these scouting directors not learned from Alex DeBrinket and Cole Caulfield? I mean, if you can play, you can play. I don't care if you're five foot ten. You don't have to be six foot five. No, you don't. I, I mean, it's just it's unbelievable to me the way this guy went down to thirteen. And every year we see this mistake made that some small forward gets pushed down. The, now, you know, DeBrinket ended up in the second round. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but Benson's a guy who's going to continue to grow. They correctly did not let him go to the World Juniors, partly because they've had injuries, partly because, you know, if he's not on your top play. six. He, he can't go to the World Series if he's not on your top six. Yeah. You know, if he's in your top six, he's not going to the World Juniors. So, yeah, you know, Benson's a guy who is thrilled to be here. He's thrilled to be with the Sabres. He's thrilled to be getting the chances he's getting. And he, he's loving the experience. I asked him today, what was it like? playing in Vegas. First of all, he'd never been in Vegas, the city, forget the rink, but it was the rink, the experience of the rink, playing the Stanley Cup champions. And guys, you saw the game. He thrived in that game. He was loving that game. And that's the kind of attitude you want to have. No fear. You're going to go out. You're going to, you're going to compete with me. I'm going to compete with you. I had no fear. And, you know, look at what happened in Winnipeg, that horrible call with two minutes to go where he's taking three guys on behind the net and he gets the penalty, but you know, Benson has an I don't care attitude. And obviously, if he was another three or four inches taller, maybe he would have got drafted third or fourth. But you know, you are who you are, and he's 18, and, and he could grow another inch or two. He's 18. But what a steal. Yeah, I uh I'm not trying to get ahead of myself because I think we all know who potential captains after Kyle Poso hangs him up. But like Benson just reeks of all the attributes that you would want in a, in a leader on your team. A guy who just goes out there and does it, doesn't need to be told to do it, just goes out there, leads by example. And, you know, maybe maybe not now, next year, two years, three years now, but that's a guy that could wear a letter on your team some, sometime down the line for sure. Sure. I mean, I think Darlene is going to be the captain of this team next year. But uh, they have a lot of leaders in there. Cousins is certainly a leader. Tuck is certainly a leader. Benson can be in that group. Um, you know, but you always, you know, I, I think back to when Ted Nolan always say your your prospects often become suspects. Well, you're still waiting on guys. You want to make sure that Kulik does become a 30 goal man in the NHL. Roseanne does become a contributor in the NHL and a serious player. Well, here's Zach Benson, drafted number 13. He's on your top line already. So I think that's a, a really you know, for all the negatives of this season, and there are a ton of them, boy, that's a pretty positive outgrowth that you got that guy at 13 and he's contributing that much already. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Couldn't agree with you more. Um, Earls? Last one for me. Uh, obviously, what's everyone's, what's on everyone's mind? How is this going to end up? What what We've talked about what they potentially could do to fix it, but in terms of your realistic pr- projection prediction for how many points they get, how is it, how this thing goes a couple months down the line? Where do you think they end up based upon what you've seen and potentially there being some positive regression from an offensive perspective? I do think the power play is going to get better. I hope, I 
I hope to God it does. And maybe these these stars start playing a little bit better and scoring. And the goaltending is either the same or even even better as Devin Levi continues to develop. Where do you see this team finishing uh, in April? Boy, I'd I'd love to be I, you know I'd love to be wrong. I'd love to be wrong. Believe me, I'd love to be wrong. Um, you're looking at basically an 82 point season. If you don't start running off wins here left and right, you're going to have to play at almost a hundred point pace the rest of the way to be in this thing. Um, and they've already played 32 games guys. I mean, some of these teams are at 26 and 27. Um, you know, they're going to need, first of all, guys are going to get healthy. Alex Tuck hasn't been healthy since training camp. Thompson Oh, I think he froze up on us. Did we lose him? I think we did. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think we lost him. Um, we'll give him a minute to get back in here. Uh, but judging off what he said. Um, 82 points is what I was – that's the points. number I had in my mind. Yeah, 80, 80 points. 80, 80 and 85 points is the pace they're playing at right now. The better and, uh, NHL player in here, I don't know. But it, it's going to be rough to see what they're going to do. And it It's a real disappointment to me. I probably bought into the hype like everybody else did, but certainly I thought they'd be in this thing. Um, but until they run five, six, seven in a row, that's when they're in it. If they don't do it, they're not in it, period. Yeah, I was I was a big optimist uh, to start the season. I thought that this team could, you know, if they can improve just by eight to ten points, they could be really pushing for that wild card spot. They, 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 they finished one point out. One point out. Many argued say if Devin Levi had started his NHL career one week earlier, they they get that spot over my, or over Florida, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, and now looking at it, just the way they've managed the roster, uh, just the poor defensive play. Like, I, I, and I know you're you're in the same boat as me. Like, I respect analytics. I understand them. I understand there's the there's a value in that information, and I respect the hell out of it. But I been around this game my entire life and just from watching certain players there has just been a lack of awareness in the defensive zone especially below your face-off dots at both ends really not we'll talk about the defensive zone but below the face-off dots just the lack of awareness and lack of a physicality up until recently just unwillingness to play within your frame and when I say physicality, I'm not saying you have to go out there and be a guy like Chris Prong or Scott Stevens or Ken Danico or really you go down the list of you know hard nosed defensemen that you know you know you're afraid you're afraid to play against, afraid to go into corner with, but just enforcing your will on a player because you're just bigger than them. And you see guys like Samuelson and Owen Power who have failed to do that time and time again, and it's bit him in the ass a lot of times this year. And you can show me all. All the numbers you want, all the expected goals for Did we lose Dwayne. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Did we lose me? Just for a second. I think you're back. Okay. Yeah. You, you show me all you, 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 you know, the uh, the issues you've had in the defensive zone when it comes to guys like Sam, big guys like Samuelson and Owen Power, guys who are these big bodies. And when you say you need more physicality, it's not necessarily mean you need to, a guy to be a Chris Pronger, Scott Stevens. Just enforce your will on players that are smaller than you 90% of the time, you're the biggest guy on the ice. And all you have to do is lean into somebody, put your weight into them, you know, tie a stick up and just the amount of times they just refuse to do that and be aware of who's around them and when, 
and how many times I bit him in the ass to start this season. Uh, it, 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 it's just, that's the mind numbing thing for me. And that when I look at coaching and we, we talked about coaching earlier, a guy like Dan Girardi, who again, I know is, isn't ready to be a full-time NHL coach, but I just think about a guy like him and the knowledge he has in situations when in game, you could use a, a voice like that on your bench, much the way, same way I thought about Michael Pekka before he, you know, went to, to New York, just having those voices and that experience on your bench in certain situations rather than your Matt Ellis's, your Christie's or your, is it Wolford? I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Wolford just for me, it's just, I, I, those guys. And, and again, it's inexperience. Uh, Owen powers in his second full season. It just drives me nuts seeing those things. And then to get to the other side of the ice, the lack of just willingness to go to the dirty area of the ice you know, for all for all the criticism that Sam Reinhart got over the years, that's one area of the ice he wasn't afraid to go to. How many goals did we see Sam Reinhart score just standing in front of that and, and getting a piece of a puck? You know, yeah, the average all... distance of his goals was awfully short at times. You know, yeah, plus like, the Even go back to Paul Gostad when he was with the Sabers. That's where he scored most of his goals. Just look, standing in front of the net, getting in front of the goalie's face. It's like for me, it was. It's just that's coaching for me. You know, the players know they should be doing it, but are you reinforcing that message and getting that out there? And that's, but is it coaching? Is it coaching? Is it coaching when they recognize it to the point where Dylan cousins calls the team soft? Is it coaching? You you look at Owen power. Owen power has become a bit of a social media pinata this year. And he really hasn't been good since the minus five game in Philly, the first week of November, but Owen powers also in his second year in the league. I remind you, Rasmus Dahlin was pretty bad at times in years two and three. You think of that classic Seattle game. It takes a long time. And I think Owen Power is just hitting one of those lulls in the career of he's a been developing great. He's NHL. Been, he's been better. He has been better. He's, he's been better lately, yeah. So, I, you know, I, I think Samuelson hasn't been healthy enough. And But you already hit the word, Dwayne, a couple seconds ago, the word aware. Their awareness. Where is the puck? Yeah. Where is the man in front of the net? How many pucks have just been banged into a net on the Sabres this year from six feet away? Because the defenseman's looking this way and the puck's over here. Or he's looking this way and the puck's over here. Or it's in his feet. I, I, the awareness or, has been a guy is coming up the slot. Watch. It's been really weird, you know. And, and part of me, a lot of times in this sport, you know, we fire coaches because that's what you got to do. And that's Ottawa did it today and you got to do it. <sighs> The coach isn't out there when the puck's no, two not, feet no. behind the guy. The puck's two feet behind the guy. Take the man or take the puck. And how many times the guy stand there and do neither one? Yeah, I, is it the I, coach I, or the guy? I'm not advocating for to, to fire Don Granato. That's not what I'm saying at all. It's just for me, it, you know, is that message being reinforced by the coaching staff? At the end of the day, the players on the ice, they're at the professional level. They should know this. Curls, how many times have we talked about the amount of puck watching that happens? So like, rather than staring at the guy with the puck. You have a guy shoulder to shoulder with you, and Samuelson and Power have both been guilty of this plenty of times. Yeah. Don't worry about the guy with the puck. There's another guy over there. Take care of him. Lift your man's stick. Tie him up. Force him out of the blue paint. You, if you if you force that guy out of that area, you take him out of the equation, and then it's just your goalie with the shooter. Let him worry about the shooter. Now that not you just take take the second man completely out of the out of the equation. That's the things that have driven me nuts uh, in the defensive zone specifically. Is just the amount of just staring at the puck rather than knowing who's right over here and 
next thing you know, to your point, you're staring over here, staring over there. All of a sudden, the puck's on his stick off a off a pad, rebound, or a direct pass, and it's in the net. Uh, here's that's, what's those are things that have driven me absolutely insane this season. But here's what's coaching, Dwayne. What's coaching is the way power drifts. The way power drifts in the neutral zone. The other team's coming, and he's trying to attack the play. The way power drifts up all the time into the offensive zone on almost every shift. There are times just play, and, and Jack Eichel had to learn this too, and he did learn it. And I, I use the term, just play a 50-50 shift and live to, to play another day. You don't have to do something every single time you're on the ice, and young players have to figure that out still. Power tries at times, and I'll credit to him. I think he tries to do something every time he's on the ice. And I think sometimes he could do that in Michigan. You can't do that here. And that's something they just have to learn. Take the 50-50 shift, move on to the next shift, live another day. Yeah, I mean, just because you don't score or or produce a shot on net doesn't mean it was an unsuccessful shift. Just right. Keeping, you know what I mean? Just you know, keeping keeping the puck out of your out of your net is is a, is a, is a successful shift. I uh, I couldn't agree with you more there, Mike. Um, yeah, and. Smith out in Ottawa today, um, a team very reminiscent expectation wise of the Sabres this year, you know, people would have expected that Buffalo and Ottawa both be vying for a playoff spot this year and things have not gone, gone according to plan. And they made a lot more moves too. Yes, they, they were they, same, same with the Red Wings. They actually went out and signed a lot of people this off season and they got a goalie. They got a couple wingers. They, they got a defenseman in Chikrin last, uh, last spring. And that, that brings me to my last one, uh, just coming up, like at what point, like how far out of the race would they need to make a move at the deadline? I think it's in late February, early March. Like how many points at that point would it be worth it to trade a prospect for potentially a top four defenseman or a top six winger? Like at what oh, point? The, the, like, the likelihood is the likelihood is that they're going to be sellers at the deadline. Yeah. You know, you're, you're going to have to be no further out than about, five or six points, maybe even four to make a move where you buy to add something because the math isn't going to be in your favor. Um, the more likely scenario here is we're talking in March of, hmm, are they trading middle stat? Are they trading Jokey Haru, RFAs? You know, you know what What are you going to have to pay middle stat on a, on a, on a new contract here? I mean, is middle status, if Cousins is what he's worth and Thompson is middle status six or seven million dollar player. Can they do that? I, I don't know. I think that's the more likely scenario here. We're going to see who are they trading off this roster to make room for Kulik, to make room for a couple of these other guys, to make room for Ryan Johnson to play every night. Um, it's tough. It's a it's a tough spot they're in because they did not organizationally expect this at all. And think of what happened last year. What happened last year was they pushed at the end when they got Levi. He made a run, you know, and after that horrible Dallas game, suddenly he made a run. People were energized. The building was pretty full. They got a sales problem here, February, March, and April, if they're out of this thing. And that's something that's really unspoken that's going to hurt them big time. And, And there's a lot of nervousness, I think, around this organization right now at what could transpire here because they don't think there was no plan to be 14th or 15th in the Eastern Conference this year, nope. guys. And you could be looking at that because 
you know, I'm sitting here watching this going, well, the Flyers are coming back to the pack, and Washington's coming back to the pack, and the Islanders are coming back to the pack. Tampa, too. They when are these teams coming back? When are these teams coming back? Tampa's aging out, but when are these teams coming back to the pack? They're pulling away. Yeah, and, and that's just... a real frustration. I mean, the Islanders, look at it. The Islanders have, they got, what, the, every game. They've gotten points in 22 out of 30 games. The Islanders have eight regulation losses. The Sabres have 16. It's it's a tough tough spot they're in. Yeah, and I, I listen in terms of the deadline. Um, I've said it, and Connor, you've said it. You can't keep everybody you draft. You no. just can't. Rosean. I mean, not, I'm just gonna rip off names. Not saying these are guys that like you have Kulik, you have Savoy, you have Rosean, you have uh, Noah Osland, uh, right. amongst other players in your organization, guys that. You know, I'm sure Kevin Adams is really partial about because they're his guys. But at the end of the day, like, just because they're your guys doesn't mean they can't be used as assets. I mean, you know In what I mean? Baseball, like, we do it all the time. In Savoy baseball, doesn't have a guaranteed spot on this team. Right. He doesn't. He doesn't. Right. As much as I liked his game in juniors, I mean, could that guy be an integral piece to bring in a top six threat? Or a top four defenseman to your team, like like, or a guy who could play even better with Darlene, or even play better with power. Like to me, that's more valuable than anything than hoping that Savoy ends up living up to his draft position. There are right. guys that there are teams out there who have guys who you know will produce, who will know who will help this team right now, who maybe haven't entered their prime of their career. A team that's in the midst of a rebuild that you could package a Savoy and a pick together to go get that guy or an Austin and a pick or whoever, whoever you decided might be. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know. I've, I've been a big advocate of attacking Carolina's situation on their blue line. They have two guys who are approaching right. a U.S. status in sky and, uh, and, and Pesci, you know, I know, you know how big you are on Pesci, uh, right. Connor, um, you know, you have a situation. See, but that's what you got to do. You have a goalie. I'm not saying right. you, you trade UPL. I'm not saying that, but Who's to say that you don't and you get one of those guys that you're telling me those guys aren't a legitimate upgrade immediately to your blue line? Like they they just are. They just are. And then you maybe you turn around and you go approach Montreal about their goalie situation. They're currently running a three-goalie situation right now too. Jake Allen has one year left on his deal. You know, uh, Montembeau is probably staying there. He just signed an extension. But you have uh, a Primo who just re, uh, recently – played like Dominic Kashuk against Buffalo. Maybe that's the guy. I don't know. I just, you know, I am not, there are very few guys on this team in terms of uh, the youth that I, I look at and say, those guys are here to stay for the long term. Uh, um, and I'm certainly not going to sit there and say that all of their prospects, and that would include Uko Pekalukin, are a definite mainstay on this roster after this season or even in this season. Well, and I've covered baseball a long time and the prospects are used as yep. trade bait. We see it with the Bisons all the time. Many of the guys d didn't get up to Cleveland. They don't go to Toronto. They get traded. Hockey, it's not as much because you've got the salary cap structure. You want to get those entry-level contracts on your team. But if you want to get a guy like Brett Pesci in Carolina, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you maybe Noah Ostlin or Matt Savoy. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that amount of prospects, that cadre of prospects that this team has, they have to use it. They have to weaponize it to get some NHL players in here. Because the problem they have is they need to get in the playoffs. 
They need to get rid of this organizational albatross. They didn't get last year at the end of the season what the Bills got with that Baltimore-Cincinnati play with Andy Dalton, which got the drought over, got the organizational albatross out the window, even though they had that terrible playoff game in Jacksonville. That whole narrative was gone. Oh, we haven't made the playoffs the longest drought in the league. Well, now the Sabres didn't sneak in last year, get killed in five games by Boston maybe, and that whole narrative would have been gone. And now it looks like we're on 12 years. It's going to go to 13 years. And how long is it going to keep going? Until you get in the playoffs, you've got to get rid of people like me constantly writing about the longest drought in NHL history. I mean, you know, and thank God the New York Jets still stink. Because how bad would that narrative be if the New York Jets had made the playoffs this year? Now it's the longest drought in the four major North American sports. So that's a real issue with this franchise that is really, really tough to get rid of. And and until they do it, it's hard. And they need to, unfortunately, probably get rid of some of these prospects to get some NHL players in here to accelerate this thing. As Adams and Granato, especially Adams, will tell you, hey, I haven't been here for the 12 years. And he's right. He hasn't been. The problem is everyone else has been. So even though it's not your drought, you're kind of wearing it right now. And and that's a real problem that Adams needs to figure out because if he can get rid of that, he doesn't have to hear about it anymore either. Any final thoughts, Rills? No, I'm good. I uh, had a bunch of questions written down and you've given us an hour of your time and we really appreciate it. I think we have some really good insight here and uh, I think it's, it's good to talk about it. It's good to vent and, Hopefully they can turn it around here. I, th- I think it's at least somewhat possible. I think there are reasons for optimisms, as as we've said, Paterka, Benson, Levi, and hopefully there's some positive reg- regression with these star players, as, as we saw to the middle of the end of last year. So we'll keep our fingers crossed, and we appreciate your coverage. It's uh, it's always good to talk to you. As Garth, you're the king of the bear poker. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> you, we you appreciate that, everybody. We want to make sure everybody, you know, takes a look. BuffaloNews.com is always there for all your immediate reports on the Sabres. As soon as the game is over, there's a story up, and there'll be there's a story, you know, a couple question. hours later after we got out of the locker room. So, last question: How much longer is there going to be a physical newspaper? Do you feel there's no plans for it going anywhere in most cities? I mean, you think about it. There's almost no newspaper in the country that's digital only. Okay. The only one I know of is uh, Ann Arbor News. Um, everybody, you know, the problem is you, it's not a problem, but it's just a fact. And more of your revenue comes from print than digital. So until such time as you can get the digital revenue really flowing, you have to have the print revenue. So we've had to reimagine the print paper, as everyone's probably noticed. Um, there are pros and cons to it. It's, you know, it's done on a corporate level. But uh you know, there's still a tremendous amount of uh, interest in the print paper. There's a lot of single copy sales. Um, and especially in this town, more so than other cities. You know, some cities, I can't find a paper at an airport. That's yeah. not the case in Buffalo. So, you know, we're still hanging in there. But the digital avenue is really growing. We've we've grown, boy, about uh, 12 times the digital subscriptions in the last seven years. So that's really growing. And that's a positive. And you just try to take the positives and the, Keep going, but uh, we're out there every day, and uh, we appreciate the support. Well, yeah, there's some, there's some good news, at least. Yeah, I, I appreciate. <coughs> excuse me, I appreciate you coming out with us, Mike. My final thought. 
I'm sorry. <clears throat> We're gonna lose Dwayne before. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, my, I like to, I like to ask this question to people we have on the show, where I know or I believe I'll get a very like interesting answer. So, if you could have dinner with five people, alive or dead, one athlete, one actor, one family member, one musician, and one fictional character, who would they be? All right, hold on. Uh, okay, uh, say it again. It was quick. Athlete, actor, family member. What were the other two? Actor, athlete, family member, uh, musician, and fictional character. All right. All right. This He's is, looking this up. I like this. No, I was just, I had to type the category. Oh, okay. All right. So, uh, actor, to me, it would want to be Robert Redford because I'd want to sit and get all the stories about the natural and about all the president's men, which were two of my favorite movies. Uh, I was actually a 17 year old. I was an extra in the natural. I'm in there in a couple spots. Really? Yeah. Fun so fact. I'd like to talk to him about that. Uh, athlete, the guy I'm, I'm super, I'm super interested in the activist role would be Muhammad Ali or Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, both just tremendous off their field of play in, you know, taking a, taking ownership to society as well. Musician boy. Probably uh, John Lennon. Yeah. How about a guy, a transcendent person, a transcendent group? Um, you know, obviously died prematurely. You know, what would John Lennon be today as an 80-year-old? You know, um, family member, bring back, and my grandfather was a Buffalo police detective. I'd love to hear some uh, police detective stories from the 1960s and 70s. Fictional character. What fictional character do I want to have dinner with? How about how about the Great Gatsby? How about I like the, that answer a lot. How about the yeah the 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 hero of the F. Scott Fitzgerald, the Great Gatsby? Would it be a? I just think a cool dude, right? Yeah. Um, right. I, I think that would that would certainly be interesting, and I you know I'd want to you know. Let's get a lot of the Italian food in Buffalo in some of these meals too. You know, that's that's some of the let's go around town to like Mulberries and some of these other places and get some of that going. So that's kind of where where my uh, immediately spur of the moment thoughts go. I love I love those answers. For me, it probably wasn't as interesting. Uh, my musician was Bruce Springsteen because I just think he's a phenomenal storyteller. Uh, you know, and, and that in that very imaginative voice of his, just the way he talks to the audience, I've always loved that about him. My mom, uh, you know, may she rest in peace. She passed away when I was 21. I uh, would like to have like one more dinner with her. Uh, <clears throat> you know, fictional character, again, not as interesting. It'd be pretty cool to have dinner with Bruce Wayne. You know what I mean? Not Batman, but Bruce Wayne. Just the, uh, you know, the, the playboy billionaire to see where the night would take us. That's a good uh, one. I love that show. <laughs> Keanu Keanu Reeves is my actor because he just seems like a great human being uh, and a guy who would be very insightful or really interesting to talk to. And then athlete for me, I think if you just can't figure it out, I mean, it's Dominic Ashik. Uh, right. I've met him plenty of times, but it'd be cool to just hear as a goalie, just all the stories he has to offer from just playing internationally for the Sabres, just those years when social media wasn't a thing, maybe some of the trouble those guys used to get into be pretty, pretty cool. Well, interview him, you, you interview him and you hear Hashioki and you say you, you try not to laugh when you're actually standing. <laughs> he's, a, he's, become quite, he's become quite the activist. Uh, he's yes, very, that too. 
He's very I, active on, uh, on Twitter about the the war in Ukraine, and I, I found yeah. that to be really cool, actually. So, yeah, I, I like how outspoken he is. I love how outspoken he is when, you know, maybe a lot of, like, to your point, like Muhammad Ali, I'm not comparing them all together, but uh, like Muhammad Ali and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, just he doesn't care about the reaction he gets from maybe people no. that have loved his career. And you know, I actually, you know, had a conversation with him on Twitter um, about it, and I and I, I he, he, you know, he he said that it's not that he doesn't like Russian players. I mean, he played most of his career with Russian players. It's just the fact that the, there's money made off their careers that is fueling the war machine from Russia, and that's that's where he that's that's his point he makes. Right. I think people just don't really you know, understand is it's not that he just thinks that they shouldn't be playing because they're, they're not, you know, because they're Russian. It's just the fact that money is being made off of their names that is fueling what's happening in Ukraine. And I think not, not, I'm not saying I agree with it or I disagree with his opinion, but I just, I respect the fact that he's willing to say it out loud. I'm going to spare both Mike and our listeners and uh, I'll think about my answers and I'll reveal them next show. We'll, uh, we'll tease it. We'll uh, we'll make it this big thing, and then uh, it'll it'll be quite the hype to to hear what my answers are. But those are great answers, so I pre- I appreciate that. Yeah, Mike, I can't I can't express how uh, uh, appreciative I am with you coming on, man. Uh, it's been great. Thank you very much, Dwayne. Connor. Oh, I thought you were frozen there for a second. No, um, yeah, I I did freeze for a second there. I appreciate the invitation very much. Yeah. No, and I hope you'll, I hope hope you'll come on with us again at some point too. Sure. Uh, It's been a lot of fun. So uh, with that being said, this has been episode 146 of two goalies, one Mike brought to you by fatty beer company, Western New York's premier market and tap room with over 300 beers to choose from seven different Western New York locations and Western New York's own one of Western New York's only kid and dog friendly bars. And of course, Buffalo logo co apparel company, Buffalo's best spot for all of your, apparel needs when it comes to the Bills, Sabres, Bisons, or Bandits. They have a lot going on over at buffalologo.com. Uh, I am Dwayne Four Hurls and Mike Harrington. Thank you for joining us, and we will talk to you guys uh, actually tomorrow night, uh, post-game show. I'll hang up and listen for uh, Sabres versus Blue Jackets. You guys have a great night. Happy holidays.
Hi, I'm Logan Anderson, host of the Say the Damn Score podcast. On my show, I deep dive into the sports broadcasting business by, you guessed it, talking to sportscasters. The show has featured big names like Bob Costas, Kenny Albert, and Vern Lundquist, as well as many up-and-coming broadcasters who you may not know yet, but you will know soon. Whether you're looking for professional development as a sportscaster, different career paths, or if you just want to be entertained by hearing some of the best storytellers in the world tell their own stories, this podcast is for you. You can subscribe to the podcast on all major podcast platforms, or you can visit our website, saythedamnscore.com. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent. Almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.